the biggest thing that I've learned since I've come over here is, you know, B isn't bad. I've been using a lot of, you know, like a no stress test product where we've got three or four different clients that, yes, they had to pay, you know, maybe a one or a 2% fee to get a mortgage. You know, I got an example client closing this week. He had to pay an extra $8,000 in a fee to get into a house. Well, he was pre-approved at a number with the bank that he never would have bought. You know, he'd be renting for the next three years. Now he's going to be gaining equity over the next three years. He's got a property that eight thousand dollars is going to be eaten up by equity all day, right? So right. different options that we have here. It's got to be the biggest, you know, aha moment that wow, this really isn't bad, and, and we are helping clients, right? The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. To the show, I have Adam Walker. Adam is a ex-mortgage specialist. In fact, he actually managed about a 20 mortgage specialists before becoming a mortgage broker. And in this episode, him and I talk about some of the myths and differences between being a mortgage specialist or bank specialist and being a mortgage broker. I think you're gonna enjoy that conversation. Also today on the Ask Expert segment, I have Ruben from D to the most costly mistakes that you see brokers make during closing. Before I jump into that, I gotta give you a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy to use. Adam is actually using it in his business right now and loves it. And it's got some smart features built in, like it automatically knows what documents to ask for based on the way they fill the app, connected lender spotlight, which searches all the rates and guidelines. And then it's got smart submission notes, so it pulls some of the key data from the app. So when you're sending it to the lender, it makes it just run much smoother. Check them out at lendas.com slash Finmo. Hey, Adam, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. So before we get into this, I got lots of questions I want to ask you. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage biz. Yeah, it's odd path, actually. You know, you kind of say nobody really ever grows up wanting to be in the mortgage business. And I was managing a sporting goods store in Niagara Falls and absolutely loved it. thought, you know, I was 23 years old managing a sporting goods store. I thought I had everything in the world at that time. And sold a snowboard set to somebody and they asked me to work at the bank. And I kind of took the interview just as a joke and, you know, I'll get some new interview questions and there's no chance I'm ever going to work at a bank. And next thing you knew, a few years later, I was working there and they tried doing a, a lot of mortgages within the bank at the time and, and really liked doing the credit side of things. And that was around 2008 and they moved me into a investment portfolio, which was probably the worst move of my life. And from there, I decided to leave and go to Home Loans Canada, which was a division of a bank. And you know, kind of take on the mortgage broker side. And then I went back to the bank, you know, Homeless Canada was first line and they amalgamated back into CIBC back at the time. So went back, was a mortgage advisor with the bank and then became management. I was an area sales manager for 13 years and recently just went back, you know, just this past January, February, started selling mortgages again, decided it was time to make a switch. So, right. So there's a lot in that whole thing. So store manager. So what prompted you to go from like, I'm killing it as a sporting goods store manager to what made you even want to go look at the bank thing as an option. Yeah, oddly enough, you know, we just had our first kid at the time and I was driving almost an hour and a half each way to be the store manager. And it was just after Christmas, actually, I rolled my car and my wife said, that's enough of that. You know, there's no more driving that far. You know, you should make a change and look for something different. And funny enough, I had two job offers at the time and one was at Zeller's and as an assistant store manager and one was in the bank and I remember talking over with my wife and I said, you know, like the Zellers will always be there forever. I don't know if any idiot's ever going to hire you in the bank again. Like this is your wife's pep talk. Yeah. Yeah. So 
there's no way you're going to fool anybody else to get you a job in the bank. And when I interviewed with the bank, I said, like, I don't know anything about banking. I know nothing. Like, why would you give me a job? And they said, you know, we have all kinds of people that know numbers inside and out, but nobody can sell. Nobody can talk to people. You sold this guy, uh, you know, like a whole snowboard set and had a great conversation with him and built onto his package and he loved it. And, and yeah, so he hired me because I could sell and I could talk to people. And he says, I can teach you the numbers. And really that's where it came through as, you know, as a salesperson. So oddly enough, a couple of years later, Zellers was gone and I was still at the bank. So I did that. Yeah. I was there for a second. I think you made the right call there, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I think people, what, you know, they don't realize, I mean, if anybody, you've been in the business for any amount of time, you know, but this is a sales business at the end of the day. Yes. We help people. Yes. There's math and there's real estate. But if you have a aversion to sales, you're going to really struggle. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, I had to reframe my thinking sales was service, like, because I didn't like salespeople. I didn't come from a sales background. But when I was like, okay, serving somebody is sometimes telling them to know. Sometimes it's pointing them in another direction than they thought. And so then I could sell, but I could not just sell without, you know, unless I believed in it. But so you basically took this bank job, then you ended up working for Home Loans Canada. And then for a while, you're managing a bunch of like mortgage specialists, right? At the banks. Talk me through that. What was your biggest sort of lesson or takeaway from managing a team of bank specialists? You know, the one of the things I learned there is the people that came into the bank, you know, everybody that was new that came into the bank and said, I need to learn everything before I go out and start talking to people. I need to know the ins and outs of every mortgage and how to do everything. Those people were gone within no time. Going out and the more people that you talk to and the more conversations that you have, the more you're going to learn, the more you're going to continue to build. And having that, you know, you've talked about too on a lot of things is a short lead time between, you know, idea and action. The faster you can execute on things. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's helped me grow my business again since, you know, when I went back to my wife and said, hey, I know everybody says the market's down and real estate's not real good right now. But, you know, we just missed the biggest earning opportunity over the last couple of years. But now I'm going to leave a salary job and go be a mortgage advisor. So she thought I was crazy. And I knew that how I can implement things really, really quickly is going to be how I'm going to be successful. Right. And I think during these, like right now in this current market where it's a little tougher, there is a massive opportunity to grab market share, to grab mind share of people that you may not be able to get in front of when the market was crazy that you can start to build a relationship with. And so you can think of this as either the terrible time or the best time, and you're going to be right in either case. And when I first started back, you know, so when I started with the bank as a mortgage agent was 2008. So that wasn't a real great time to be out there. No, no it was terrible. Right. So if I could do it back like then. like the tough markets, man. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what has been the biggest difference between working at the bank, right? Working as a bank specialist, because not only were you warm, but you were also managed them and being a broker. Because- and I want good and bad. I want like the good on both sides and the bad. I don't want to just make this a bash the bank thing. I think that, you know, sometimes on the bank side, they go, oh, those guys, they all charge fees. And, you know, who are the lenders anyway? They're sketchy. Like there's, that's kind of the crap that I've heard. But I want to hear both the good yeah, and bad. That, that's sides. everything we talked about. It is funny. Like we talked about that, you know, if you're going with a broker, there's going to be fees. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. The biggest thing that I've learned since I've come over here is, you know, B isn't bad. I've been using a lot of, you know, like a no stress test product where we've got three or four different clients that, yes, they had to pay, you know, maybe a one or a 2% fee to get a mortgage. You know, I got an example client closing this week. He had to pay an extra $8,000 in a fee to get into a house. Well, he was pre-approved at a number with the bank that he never would have bought. You know, he'd be renting for the next three years. Now he's going to be gaining equity over the next three years. He's got a property that eight thousand dollars is going to be eaten up by equity all day, right? So right. different options that we have here, it's got to be the biggest, you know, aha moment that 
wow, this really isn't bad. And, and we are helping clients, right? Right. And if you think about it, like CMHC is a fee. Like when they charge mortgage insurance, mortgage default insurance, and sometimes it's a massive number. Like we're talking, you put down 5%, they charge a massive amount of your equity is instantly gone. And yet nobody blinks an eye at that, right? It's like, oh, that's fine. Because they understand that it's this cost of doing business. It's the cost of getting into real estate. And so it's the same idea as that on the bank side or in the broker side, there's definitely more options available, right? Like there's just, you have wider selection of tools. I always think of it like golf clubs. You've got more golf clubs to pull to your bag for that one time you need a left-handed sand wedge and you're like, oh, great, I can use it. You know, I only use it a few times a year, but versus you only have a smaller number of, you know, clubs typically in when you're working for one institution. Absolutely. No, it's the biggest difference. And the other thing is the community, right? We I know we talked about it with Justin previously, though. The community that's in, on this side, and there's a great community in the bank, and there is a lot of, you know, people that want to help you grow, but a lot of times it's competition, right? Like some days the branch is on your side and they want to help you grow their business and they want to collaborate on things, and some days they don't, right? And it kind of depends on who the manager is that week and, and what's going on there. But on this side, there's such a different community and it's different ideas. It's not just the same old thing that this is where a allowed to do because, you know, we've got to stay on brand or we've got to stay on this and you know, we want to build our own brand and, and we're about building profit for our clients. Right. So it's not about the shareholders on this side. We hear that all the time on the bank side is, you know, profit for shareholders here. It's about profit for clients. So we can build our own brand. We can do our own things. We can run different things like, you know, our webinars, the YouTube page, all those different social media accounts that actually help grow business. And we're worried about our brand, not the bank's brand. Right. So we'll touch on that. So again, you're a manager. How does the compensation compare you know, from bank specialist to broker, what have you noticed? Yeah, definitely. You know, there's more opportunity here, right? So there's no deals here where we're making 25 basis points, right? Like a lot of those little tiny deals that, okay, we've had to cut things out. Sometimes there's different fees that we have to pay on this side or different costs, but they all wash out. But in terms of comp, it's incredible. And not just the compensation that happens on this side. Like I just met with my accountant today because I've got my corporation opened up now and the taxes like that. I think that's going to be the biggest difference. Even if the pay was the same and we were making the same per deal, the income difference on taxes is incredible. Yeah. The tax efficiency. So you have tax efficiency, you have higher comp per transaction. You have more lending options for your clients. And then you have more flexibility in terms of marketing. I mean, the regulator still has rules, but it's not like at the bank where, from my understanding, it's much more challenging to get anything. Yeah, you got to kind of be on brand there, right? And if you're with a bank and, and one of the benefits of being with a bank is having that logo, we can't use that logo in different scenarios, right? That's a challenge. Now, one of the nice things like the bank had was some different backend fulfillment stuff and some different backend things that that was very, very helpful. You know, they had some assistant programs where they give some assistance on different things. I started working with broker services where, you know, when I'm busy and I need help on the back end, you know, I take it to a different broker service that helps with all my back end stuff. They help with all my, some of the fulfillment. And that's great that I'm not, you know, if I was in the bank and I wanted to hire an assistant, I'm on the hook for $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 a year, depending on where I want to hire them. And if I ever want to get rid of them, getting rid of somebody in the bank is tough, right? So you just can't be like, I, hey, they're not working out. Right? I pay a little more per hour, but I use them as I need them. So, so you got flexible in terms of even in employment. Any other things that you've noticed between working, you know, bank side versus broker side? Yeah, I would say those are kind of the biggest things, right? Like the collaboration, obviously second to none on this side, you know, jumping on calls all the time, jumping in the underwriting room that we have here has been fantastic and, and doing those little things and not only learning how to do my deal, but how somebody else is structuring theirs and figuring those out has been really, really helpful. 
Right. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Thanks, Adam, for chatting with me, man, and sharing a little bit about your experience working at the bank. And in the next uh, segment, next part, we're going to be talking about marketing and it's something that you've got some great ideas that you've used in your career that we'll be talking about those. Awesome. Hey, thanks for listening to my conversation with Adam. In this next segment, I talked to Ruben from D to D, most costly mistakes that you see brokers make during closing. Hey, Ruben, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott, great to be here again. Thanks for having me. So, hey, let's talk about the most costly mistakes that you see brokers make during closing, because I think sometimes brokers sort of forget that this is actually still their job. So walk me through what you notice. So great topic. Number one mistake that we see, and you just touched on it, is disengaging after the mortgage commitment comes in. And uh, surprise, surprise, we see that you know quite a lot. And I think a lot of it has to do with where does the line stop? And I think ultimately, if I think about it, I usually frame things from a client or a customer experience perspective. So if I'm a client, I'm coming to you as a broker, my expectation is you'll get me to the results. You'll get me to you know my funded deal. You'll get me to the keys to my house all the way to the finish line. In fact, I think most consumers don't really understand the delineation between what a broker does, what's the appraiser's role, what's the lawyer, the title company. So bottom line is if you disengage after the commitment, you're asking for sort of a couple things to happen. One is you're going to lose any sense of control over your client. Your client will be handed over to a lawyer or a title company, any other party. You won't know what's going on. You won't even know when the deal funded or if the deal funded. If it funded or if it died at the last minute or, yeah. And then there's the second aspect of it is perception. And perception doesn't really fall further from the truth in terms of, you know, if you've disengaged with your client before the deal funded and you're not there to, you know, congratulate them, shake their hand, give them a high five or give them a virtual high five, you're missing that opportunity because that opportunity to make a memorable impression and be there for them is gone. And in fact, they see you in a different light. Hey, you know what? This fellow just got their deal signed and now he's off to, or she's off to the next deal, right? I think most people, if it goes smooth, they probably don't even think about you at all. It's only when it goes wrong or there's a confusion or a lender sends the wrong amount or there's things that need to be changed. And that's when you're like, you realize the ball was dropped. If it happens to just go smoothly, which it does sometimes, think as a broker, you can get away with it until you can't. And then it's like, shoot, and why wouldn't you manage, make sure that there's a good handoff and that you're still helping manage the process? Because at the end of the day, if something blows up, they're still going to blame you. They're going to be like, hey, it's your fault. You're the person representing the lender. The lender didn't send enough. They've asked for more down payment than you promised. What is this? You know, all kinds of stuff can happen after the fact. And usually brokers will do that until they get burned once or twice. And then eventually they're like, shoot, I got to really manage. If you've been in this business for a amount of time, you always manage the closing, you know, partner with a lawyer, you don't just leave it to chance. I think that's just insane. But yeah, it's, it's actually a big mistake to disengage. So what's the second mistake you see people make? Second mistake actually happens after the commitment. And we're seeing there's two different schools. One says, I don't want to recommend a lawyer or title company. I'm going to leave it to my client to find their own, do some of the research, look at pricing, figure it out. And a lot of it, I think, maybe goes back to maybe having been burned in the past or not wanting to get involved. And then the majority we find do have, you know, a recommendation or do have partners in the form of a lawyer, or they prefer to use a certain title company. So really the mistake is to leave it to the client 
to find and engage a lawyer or title company does, again, a couple uh, adverse impacts here. One is they may choose someone who is completely unqualified. Hey, I've got a cousin who's been, you know, doing criminal commercial law. real estate, but it's going to do this for me as a favor. And it just turns into a gong show. I've seen that happen. Right, right, right. Again, you know, we all know at the end of the day, you know, if you've got a specific problem, say you need, you know, you have an ailment, you go see a doctor, you always want to see the specialist. And when it comes to law and closing real estate transactions, you want someone who's been there, who's done that. So that's sort of the one thing that we find happens quite often. The other one is as a broker, if you don't have a relationship, technically you won't know what's going on. You're not going to be privy to you know any insight. If there's a situation that happens, and again, things will happen, whether you like it or not, we are, you know, dealing in complex transactions, especially nowadays when, you know, there's multiple borrowers and guarantors and titles and all that sort of stuff. You won't know what's going on and you won't have even the opportunity to fix it. So that goes back to same as disengaging. And the third thing that a lot of folks just completely, you know, miss is you're in business to make your client's life easier. Right. So when you say, well, fantastic, Scott, I've got a commitment here for you. You've been approved. I got you the deal. By the way, you know, I'll give you the names of, you know, three, four, five lawyers. You're going to have to call them. You're going to have to compare them. You're going to have to decide which one you want to engage and then come back to me. You're causing two things. One is you're causing a massive delay because it's going to take you some time to make the calls. Mm -hmm. And we know how it works leave a voicemail, get a call return, they miss you, all that sort of stuff. And then your client is not in the business of doing that. Right. So sometimes it's very hard to compare, you know, apples to apples in terms of, you know, who provides best level of service? What do their fees include? What do their fees exclude? What's the bill going to look like at the end? So if anything, you know, by choosing to sort of raise your hands and not help your client with a suggestion, you are essentially delaying things as well. And you're causing them all this extra work. And let's face it, who appreciates all that extra work, right? Nobody. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me to just leave it up to the client to engage. I've seen situations where go find your own lawyer. Lawyer looks at it and says, hey, they don't like documentation from XYZ monoline lender because it's more complex. And they tell the client, why are you getting this is a crappy mortgage? Why are you getting it? They're commenting on. So that's something I've seen happen numerous times from some law firms or some lawyers will just basically they'll tear into your commitment because they're not your partner. They don't give a crap. They're just what's easier for them. The other thing that can happen is they forget to collect a fee. Oh, well, not my problem. You know, and you if there was a fee on the file, now you've got to go chase that down or like, it's just a nightmare, you know? And so it still shocks me that if you've been in the business for more than five minutes, that you would not have people that you refer to so that you can manage that closing process. Okay, so disengage, leave it to the client. What would be the last kind of mistake? Last step, the last step goes right after step one and two, which is failing to check in with the lawyer and client. And again, you know, your job's not done. Even if things are going smoothly and you don't hear anything, couple opportunities. One is checkpoints. Checkpoints and touch points are golden, right? That's what people will remember if even if nothing's happening a nice little you know note or text or call hey scott you know how are things going when are you signing your documents all that stuff goes a long way it shows that you care it translates trust me into very positive conversations referrals and great testimonials and of course anything until the money is in your client's account or the keys are in their hands anything could happen. There's delays, there's lots of manual processes. 
we've seen a couple weeks ago what happened when TD went down on a Friday, mm -hmm. a busy real estate Friday, and a lot of deals got. So did, did they actually close or did they all get pushed to the Monday? A lot of stuff got pushed. And again, like these are circumstances where not everybody banks with TD, but a lot of lawyers do, a lot of clients do. A lot of institutions rely on TD for funding as well. So again, don't leave it the chance. Check in, be involved as you can. I'm not saying you got to be hands-on and dot every I across every T, but be there and get visibility. From our platform's perspective, for those of you that don't know, we provide that visibility online. So it just really eliminates that step. You're able to access the dashboard. You can see exactly what's happening. So it is a big time saver, but nonetheless, failing to check in with the lawyer, with the client, do they have everything? Are we good to get funded? Is there any other obstacles? Is there anything you can help? Really, really goes a long way, not only for your client's experience, but those touch points are golden. Yeah, absolutely. So it shocks me that we even have to talk about this, but hopefully if you're new, you're going, okay, don't do that. Or you can make all these mistakes, lose clients, lose referral partners. And then you'll, you know, a year later be like, dang, I should have done that, but or just do it. So any kind of final thoughts on this whole mistakes easy brokers making? Yeah, no. So I think where it all culminates is about the client journey and experience you're delivering. I think we're saying today, Scott, makes total common sense. It does. But sometimes it's easy to get busy and get your head in the weeds and forget that, hey, you know what? My job's not done. I got to you know, not only manage it to the finish line, but I got to manage it even after the finish line, right? That touch point, what we get a lot is a lot of brokers we speak with don't even know when their deal funded, right? Because they don't have tracking through their title company or their lawyer. They don't get that notification with us. That's one of the big things that we do. You get notified that mm -hmm. your clients, you know, funded or closed, they've got their keys. And again, it gives you those extra touch points. It saves you the time from not knowing. And with your client looking to you for that outcome, I think it's almost a little bit embarrassing to make that call and say, Oh, hey, Mike, did your deal fund today? Well, you know, hey, shouldn't you know? Yeah, right? exactly. So. Like, terrible. Yeah. And again, if you guys check out deeded.ca, Ruben and his team are amazing. And they have the equivalent of what I call a Domino's pizza tracker that basically lets you see full visibility into where the transaction's at so that you know what's going on. The customer knows what's going on. The Domino's pizza tracker is also for the customer, not just for you. And check them out at Deeded. Thanks, Ruben, for chatting with me, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode with my conversation with Adam and Reuven. If you're listening to this and you're like, hey, how do I get my business going better? I encourage you to go check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. We have a free search account. You can set up and search all of our past episodes keyword. It's absolutely powerful. And remember, competition happens at the bottom. Collaboration happens at the top. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.